where we discuss what's going on around the world. My name's Sam. My name's Zara. So grab a cuppa and a digestive and join us today while we discuss with Easy Johnny Friend about her experience of discrimination at work as a disabled journal. She will tell us all about her invisible illness and how she feels disabled people have been treated during the pandemic. But before diving into it, Zara and myself would like to discuss our own struggles and what we did to overcome them. I do believe there is a distinction to be made when it comes to mental health issues. But before that, I'd like to hear more about Zara's experience. So Zara, tell us what, what are your main struggles and what your, what's your story with mental health? Well, my story with mental health um, quite a tricky one. So I've only just recently sort of learned that it to, that it's okay to sort of open up and talk about it because I've kept my mental health issues in um, my whole life and um, even when you sort of messaged me and said oh let's talk about mental health on our show I was almost going to message you back and be like actually Sam I'm not comfortable with that like let's speak about something else because I thought no Zara like you need to sort of speak about you know your mental health in hopes that it will help other people so it's really weird like uh, you probably won't believe me but since like puberty like since a very young age like I've felt depressed and stuff like even I remember like once when I was really young I just got out of the bath and I walked into my bedroom and I just started crying for absolutely no reason like having a, a full-on like breakdown and I was probably only like 13 14 at the time and I didn't really understand why I was crying and why I was so upset and it's only about like a year or two ago I was diagnosed with depression so obviously I think that was probably like the start of it and I think for me the reason I kind of kept it in and I didn't really say anything to anyone and it sort of went undiagnosed for a while um was because like my parents are quite old-fashioned and stuff so when I did tell my parents how I felt they were like Zava like there's people starving out there like what are you on about what do you have to be upset about you know and sort of like dismissing it they were like oh Zavik you're only young you're 15 what do you have to be sad about we have a job blah 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 I think because I'd sort of be conditioned through that even today like even like the other day I was feeling upset about um coronavirus I'm, I was on FaceTime to my boyfriend because me and my boyfriend are long distance right now because I'm back in my hometown and I just started crying and um, my boyfriend was like, Zava, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I was like, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong. I was like revising on FaceTime and I was literally just carrying on writing these revision notes with like tears down my eyes saying like everything's fine. So for me, my main struggle with mental health is definitely opening up just because of years of sort of like holding it down. Um, so that's why I'm sort of happy that we both decided to speak about it um, on this podcast. So something you said earlier, and that's what I, I meant by there's a distinction to be made. Before you mentioned being diagnosed with depression, you did say before that you felt depressed. And that's what I think people need to understand. You can't say, oh, I'm depressed because you're upset. You can't say I'm depressed because you're struggling with something. Unless you've been diagnosed, uh, with depression I think you can't use the word I'm depressed because it dimin it diminishes what other people are going through and to me this is serious this is not something you can you know you can joke about or you know be light about it it's not something you know people are generally struggling with it and in my experience I mean I, I I'm the same as you. Mental health, until very fairly recently, I've never really, you know, paid attention to my mental health. Um, I've never really cared about it. Not because, you know, it's not something I don't want to speak about, but because I think I've been conditioned that way. And I think it's got a lot to do with the way I was brought up, but also because I come from, you know, a mixed race background. And I think it's got a lot to do with it. Uh, it's got a lot to do with, we have to be strong because we're already a minority. You can't show your weaknesses. You can't show that you're not well. You can't show that you're struggling with, them, with something because otherwise people will think, oh, you know what? 
that's because he's mixed race. That's because, you know, he's got, you know, he's brown or whatever. And I've never wanted to appear like I'm weak. And I think that's a misconception that me, that, you know, first myself I have, but a lot of, you know, mixed race people have to appear strong and to, you know, because we have, you know, like we can't say otherwise. We've been fighting and fighting against racism, against, you know, discrimination all the time. And I mean, it doesn't help. I'm, I'm not heter like heterosexual, I'm gay. So even more to me, that was another pressure. And until recently, you know, during the pandemic, mid pandemic, I've started realizing, yes, actually, I do have my struggles and I need to acknowledge them. I need to, you know, be like, okay, Sam, you're not, you're not, you're not well, actually. <laughs> you know, you're struggling as everyone is. Like, you know, you, you need to stop trying to be strong. And, and I think that that's why to me, you know, I tend to say sometimes people use their, you know, mental health as an excuse. But again, this is not so much people using it as an excuse, but it's much more like, you need to stop using terms you actually don't know what you're talking about. And um, many times I've had to tell friends, you know, to actually watch what they were saying because that's not right. I've got friends who are bipolar. I've got friends who are suffering from de depression. I've got my mother who's suffering from depression. So to me, it's like, no, at this point, just no, shush, you can't say that. You can't use that word. So. Yeah, I think, um, you know, especially now um, in a time and age where we are, mental health is becoming very, very, you know, big in everyone's mouth. Um, you know, everyone needs to take care of themselves, especially during the pandemic. Um, I mean, I don't know, has the pandemic helped you, you know, facing your own mental health issues? You know what, like, so like the most like common conception there is is that um this lockdown has sort of affected everyone's mental health but for me it kind of benefited it just because usually especially in today's day and age it's all about being productive it's all about always being on the go like constantly and that exhausts me that wears me out and i think surely you must know as a, a, a budding journalist like we are sort of like kind of having to always like constantly work and stuff and constantly think about our jobs they say like don't enter journalism unless you have a passion for it because you, you literally have to live and breathe it to like get somewhere so like with this pandemic it's sort of like the first time in a while that I've kind of just been able to have some like peace and quiet and I've sort of used it for like reflecting and things as well like even in this pandemic I've sort of like sat down and I've like reflected on my life before the pandemic and I've sort of like noticed like habits that I had that made my mental health worse. So like, for example, like as a lot of students used to do, I, I used to like drink a lot and I would like binge drink, be like blackout drunk, wake up the next day, like remember stupid things I did, like felt depressed like all day about it. Alcohol is a depressant, so it literally does make you depressed. And um, when I was sat in lockdown, I kind of just looked back and I was like, I don't even enjoy drinking like if it's gonna make me do things like that and make me feel like that I don't enjoy it so I've, I gathered that opinion sort of in the first um lockdown and then when things calmed down and my fans were sort of asking me to go out and stuff I started like turning them down more or when I did go I'd drink less and they were sort of like Zara like what are you doing like why are you drinking less and it's just because like I sort of use I think lockdown like it is hard for everyone but it's sort of about how like you utilize it and because I sort of like just sat down and reflected on things that sort of made me happy and then things that didn't and I was like I'm just going to try get try get rid of all the things that don't make me happy in order to make me happier so like we're in our third is that our third lockdown I think it is um yeah we're in our third lockdown now but like I'm, I'm happier than I was before this COVID thing started. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm stressed about uni. I'm, my whole life has changed and I'm stressed about that. But overall, like, as a person, I feel more, like, um, confident in myself, more at peace. Um, what about you? I mean, it, it's been challenging. And I, that's when I started realising, you know, I need to take care of myself. Because before lockdown, I used to work seven days a week. Um, I used to be... Um, 
always doing something. When I was home, I was home to sleep, not even eat, just shower and sleep, wake up and I'm out 10 minutes later. It was, it was crazy. Um, and it's not so much, I'm studying. So, you know, people would say, oh, but you know, you're just studying. You don't have uni all the time. Well, yeah, but I do have to work because I don't have, you know, I need to pay for my, you know, bills and I need, I'm fending for myself and I need to afford to be able to live in London. I mean, it's prices in London are crazy. Um, but also when lockdown happened and I got all this free time, you know, overnight, it was like, oh my God. And I literally cried for like two hours straight. I couldn't stop crying because I was scared to be alone by myself. I was scared. I live with someone, like I have a boyfriend, I live with my boyfriend, but he was at work and I was like, I'm like free. I'm gonna have to, you know, be bored. That was so scary. I just didn't know what to do with my life. I, I, I just had, you know, I just then lost my job and I was like, oh my God, what's gonna happen? And actually, you know, I focused on my studies more because I didn't have a job anymore um so i was just studying about pretty much every day um and i was um trying to get some time off trying to you know embrace the time that i had and it was a struggle at first because i just didn't know what to do i've never had that in my life because i've been working since i was i was what 13 years old so yeah yeah i've i haven't really had a break since then and um it was a struggle and I was scared, but I think it's helped me understand, you know, you're human at some point, you're gonna burn out. Like you can't keep going that way. And um, even now I'm exhausted because I think, so we went into lockdown what, in May? No, sorry, in March? Yeah. Or in April, I can't remember. About that part, I think it was March. Yeah, it was March. And in May, I managed to get another job. And ever since I've been working, you know, full time for that job while studying, which has been quite challenging. <laughs> and I also have another job as a support worker. So, you know, I'm not helping myself, but I'm understanding that I need to kind of, you know, slow down a bit and think about myself and think about, you know, just my personal life. like for. I mean, I, I was in lockdown, we were in lockdown. I, I couldn't, I wasn't even seeing my, my boyfriend because I was working so much at home. There's literally three different rooms, the bathroom, the kitchen, living space, and the bedroom. And, you know, there's not so, there's only so much to go around and I wasn't even seeing my boyfriend. So yeah, it was like, Sam, you need to like stop. You need to, you know, take a moment and chill and realize that you know work is not everything even though it does you know you do need work to work um i just realized that i needed to kind of revalue my priorities and what i was doing and i think it it helped uh, mentally because i was just all the time you know thinking 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 to get to, to the point where i couldn't think anymore i was just like i couldn't even remember where my home keys were so yeah it got to a point where I just needed to stop and um yeah. but again you know I think that's something we just need to be aware of more and more and you know now we're seeing more talks about mental health and how we can deal with it and I think it's important more than ever that we actually speak about it because you know we're all going through hardships especially you know during this pandemic so being able to just actually start talking about it I think will help everyone yeah I think as well like setting aside like time to care for yourself like you said does help like, like you said we are only human and I think like especially in today's society there's such this like toxic idea that um you've always got to be like making money you've always got to be doing something you've always got to be like um, taking care of your body like exercising which is good but it's also pressure at the same time and obviously like with uni um work like maintaining a social life at the same time like there's so much pressure and I can sort of relate to what you're saying because 
even when I'm just sort of like sat in my bed, like watching Netflix, I feel really guilty in my head. I'm like, Zara, you shouldn't be doing this. You could be doing something so productive right now. And it's just because I feel like I've sort of been like programmed to think that maybe I've done that myself because I'm quite ambitious. So I'm always like, I like sort of being productive, but it's gone to the point now where like I, can, I can't fully switch off like, sometimes at night I'm just lying there awake like thinking about work when I should be sleeping like I think when it's like sort of affecting your sleep and your mental health and maybe like even um before lockdown I wasn't eating properly because I was just constantly on the go and I think like it's just sort of like it's really important to sort of maybe set aside like a day for self-care so like for me on like Sundays I, I barely do any like uni work I'll maybe do like a little in the morning but for like the whole day now I'll start like focusing on doing nice things for myself like maybe buy like a nice present or like having like a nice bath at the end of the night like watching my favorite film and like just trying not to feel guilty about it and just thinking like like you you work so hard like you deserve this like you deserve like some time off because everyone does and I think um everyone does just forget that we're all human and that we all need like our time out and you know we can't handle everything in the world at once especially with this pandemic like I think sometimes even if you don't think things bother you or like that you're like a really resilient human like subconsciously things are affecting you so I think it's really important to just have some time out and even if you're not doing anything just sort of check in with yourself and ask yourself questions ask yourself how you're feeling um, what you can do to make yourself um, feel happier I mean I think you know it's a balance isn't it it's about finding the right balance for yourself and um, I mean I'm sure easy you know our guest for today will be able to explain more about this because she has to deal with a lot herself so um, but I think I just wanted to mention, guys, like, you know, there's help and there's free helpline if you need. Um, there's a Samaritans uh, for everyone, which the number is 116123. Or you have Calm, which is Campaign Against Living Miserably. Uh, it has a, you know, immense focus, but we not refuse anyone. Um, and you can call them on 08005858. Or you can just Google or talk to, try to talk to a GP. You know, there's always people you can speak to. And if you don't want to talk to your friends or anyone you know, you know, you can call those helpline. And, you know, you're, you're, you're never alone. So, yeah. You can message us as well. Um, our Twitter apps are on um, the Twitter bio. And literally, my DMs are open. So anyone who messages me with mental health, I've got loads of free time now because of COVID. So I'll literally be happy to help you out and speak to you because right now this is such like a tough time for like everyone. Isn't it? Like, yeah. I don't know what it's like out, actually outside the UK. I haven't been that up to date with the news, but it's tough for everyone in the UK. So we just all need to be there for each other. Just remember you're not alone with what you're feeling and whatever you're feeling like it's valid. It's not stupid. You're not wasting anyone's time by reaching out. Like people want to hear how you feel and people want to help you exactly so yeah so uh we're now gonna move on and uh introduce easy and uh, i hope you guys enjoy this episode hi hey so my name's izzy johnny friend and i am a freelance journalist and campaigner so you mentioned that you have like an invisible illness so could you tell us a bit more about that yeah so i have cystic fibrosis which is a chronic life shortening disease that um, causes thick and sticky secretions to get stuck in my lungs and digestive system and eventually it will lead to fatal organ damage oh well, okay um were you born with that or did you develop that at a certain age uh, yeah, I was born with it, but I was diagnosed when I was six. And, okay, and, but, so, obviously, that, I mean, we have to mention it quickly, but you've been shielding since the pandemic started, haven't you? Yeah, I have. So, okay. since March 2020. 
how's that been for you? Have you found it hard? Because I know some people have sort of like gone out there, gone gone out and locked down just to see like their friends or like gone for walks and stuff. Have you kind of find it hard having to like stay in all the time? Yeah, it has been hard because I've, yeah, I've not been able to see anybody, which has made me feel quite anxious. And it kind of makes the pandemic a bit more scary just because I haven't really like been anywhere. So it's just made me live in a sort of bubble. But in a way, because I've been doing this for so long, I haven't had the uncertainty of the rules changing every week or whatever. So in a way, that's kind of been beneficial for my mental health. And with your cystic fibrosis, how does that sort of affect you on like a day-to-day -day basis? Um, the illness varies from like everybody that has it. Um, and my, I get a lot of pancreatitis pain because of my CF and that can come on like at any second without warning. So my health flare-ups can just happen when I'm least expecting it, which is, is hard when I'm like working and things and I have sudden like flare-up of pain. Uh, and I also have to do four hours of medication every day. So that's quite tough to fit in around having oh, well. that, that. That's quite a lot. I mean, I understand and, you know, I'm not in your position, so... Um, I can only, you know, sympathise, but also, like, you mentioned it can come up at any, any time, the pain can just, you know, you're working and you're doing all your stuff and the pain can come up. So when you, so when you have a job, do you tend to, like, tell your uh, managers or boss or whoever that you do have an invisible illness? Therefore, if, you know, you start feeling pain, you may not be able to, you know, work. Um. See, so I freelance, so I kind of work for myself, which is good because it means I can be flexible. Um, over the summer, I was applying to loads of jobs and I do mention my CF like in the application process because I think that it's just important that I'm upfront. Um, but as soon as I make the reasonable adjustments I need for the interview stage or even at the interview stage, they will just ignore me when I've said what I need. They don't want to accommodate my needs. I think they assume I'll be lazy or that I won't be able to do the work as well as somebody else. So they just decide they don't want me, basically. Yeah. Have you, like, in any past job, like, even if it's not journalism-related, say it's, like, a customer service part-time job, have you ever kind of experienced any, like, discrimination for your disability? I mean, I can't really say. I haven't had a job in, like, customer services or anything, because when I um, had interviews for a waitressing job, they just weren't interested because they thought that I wouldn't be able to um do the job they thought even though I said like I will be fine to do this I know my health flare-ups do come on without warning but like I know that I can still do work and they just were not really interested they didn't believe me so yeah I haven't really been like successful in getting a full-time job because of people's perceptions of my it's quite um it's quite ludicrous and also very um hypocritical from you know employers because they do you know any um, job you apply for they do say well let us know if you have any special needs or if we need to if we need to make any adjustments for your you know um interview i mean it it's kind of i mean it says a lot about many many you know employers it, it, i just wonder if it's just you know a way to say look we employ everyone we don't make you know any assumptions and we don't make any um like everyone's equals and whether you have an invisible disability or visible disability or if you're from a poor background or if you're black it kind of says a lot about you know and for people who like more so like you who have an who has um, an invisible disability I, I just wonder have you ever thought about you know just not telling them yeah, I have. And people have said to me, why do you tell them? But I think if they're going to discriminate against me and not be interested in me because of my disability from the start, then I know that they won't accommodate my needs later on. So, I mean, I know people say there's like the Disability Discrimination Act, so I should be okay and it's like illegal, but they still do treat us badly. And it's just even harder for us to prove because they're not meant to be. So it's just like really a difficult situation. And I know lots of people who've said that, yeah, they've experienced discrimination and they've not been able to prove it. It's just, yeah, it's just awful. And I don't know how they get away with it. 
So what are your sort of plans? Are you just sort of thinking of carrying on freelancing um, because you've sort of faced this discrimination or are you still sort of applying to jobs? At the moment, um, I'm just going to keep freelancing and then I've got a lot of campaigning work as well at the moment, so that's all right. I would like eventually to have a job um, that's a bit more full-time and stuff and work for someone, but... It depends on who's going to accommodate the needs I have, and that's really important to me. And it's it it's taken. Well, it's just hard. I don't know. It's just really yeah. hard. Yeah. I mean, how, how 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 do you deal with it? Because you know, right before you came on, we were talking about you know our own mental health and how we you know struggled with it, or you know, and I do have a strong point, and I'm happy to share it with you on mental health, but. How do you deal with, you know, the pressure and, you know, be, it's not, it's basically being diminished for who you are as a person. And like, as, as, as if you had chosen to be that way, which we know you didn't, but, you know, how do you deal with, with that? I mean, it's taken me quite a long time, but I've experienced like discrimination and prejudice, like all my life from my disability. So I am used to it. And a lot of my journalism and campaigning is around uh, disability. So it's something that I'm really outspoken about. So although it does make me very upset, it just makes me want to like keep going with my work even more to like help yeah. like raise awareness. And it, it does impact my mental health. Like I have quite, I have like anxiety and OCD and I find that my mental health isn't taken as seriously as my physical health. Um, and it is just, yeah, really hard health problems are invisible so I don't look unwell so people think that I'm lying all the time um I mean um also you know that's that, that was a point I was going to say like you know um because it's not visible people will think you may be lying just to get you know um you know to to get I don't know to be favorized or what the words you know so it makes it easier for you to sort of um get some step ahead but Actually, it doesn't because people just don't want to make the efforts. And that's where the issue is. Uh, but tell us more about the campaigns um, you're, you're doing. What, what is it about? Uh, my campaigning is about access to medication, actually, because that's like a big issue with like privatisation and just like big pharmaceutical companies charging the NHS a lot of money. So side of the problems I face, like I struggle to get access to medication I need because of my cystic fibrosis so that's like yeah another issue but would you um ever campaign about disability because um for me as a sort of BAME journalist there's loads about how black people aren't really represented or people of color aren't really represented in newsrooms there's um thousands of like schemes to help um BAME people get into the industry like hundreds of like BAME networks and kind of things to help but there's so much awareness on that but then I've, I've literally seen nothing for no sort of like sort of schemes for disability or when I'm scrolling on my Twitter, I don't see anything about um, the lack of disabled people in the newsrooms. Like this is the first time that I've sort of heard that there's been like sort of discrimination against like disabled journalists. So would you ever think of sort of doing like a campaign about that or like spreading awareness about it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I really would. I think that there are some schemes for disabled people, but I think even in them, there's sometimes flaws with their, the way they go about it. So I think, yeah, I would really campaign about it. I think it's something that's so important because actually a lot of people have disabilities, like especially hidden disabilities, like one in 10. That's like a high number of people, but it's just not talked yeah. about. And yeah, and especially with mental health, I think that I would like lots of campaign around mental health in journalism. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, mental health, I mean, it's become a big talk that, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't have, even a couple of years ago, it was something spoken, but not as much as today. And, you know, everyone is kind of, you know, putting a, a stress on, you know, you have to look after your mental health and you have to speak up and, you know, don't keep things for yourself. And if you have to, you know, if you're, you know, if you're experiencing anxiety or, you know, depression, deal with it, stop trying to push it away because it's not going to go away. Um, but also, like, talking about this, it just makes me think, again, as I said, uh, you know, as I mentioned previously in the intro, 
I do have a strong point on mental health and until now, well, not now, but like probably until mid um, pandemic last year, I wasn't really taking care of my mental health at all. I was like, yeah, no, you know what? I'm strong. I don't stress. I've never stressed in my life. Uh, I don't feel anxiety and all that. And although, you know, those are some you know traits of, you know, mental health issues. Um, I feel like people tend to use mental health now as an excuse for everything. And I feel like, you know, because it's becoming such a big talk around, there's so much talk about, you know, mental health and how you should take care of your mental health and, you know, who you should speak to and all of that. I feel like people are now using mental health as an excuse for everything. And uh, what annoys me and what actually makes me angry is people thinking, oh, you know, for it, it's it's a perfect example, and I, I'm not here to judge, but again, to me, there's a difference between I'm severely anxious, and oh, I'm stressed about a deadline, for example, and people, I feel like, are not making the the difference between the two. So, what do you think about you know? <laughs> sorry, that was a lot, <laughs> but I, I know I've got a strong point, like you know, a standpoint on this. But what what do you feel about people using mental health as an excuse for you know everything? Oh. Oh, that's like a hard one because in a way I think that I like I don't necessarily agree that people use it as an excuse for everything, but I do get your point of when you said that there's like a distinction to be made between certain. Like problems because for example um i have ocd and i think a lot of the times people will say oh i'm a bit ocd i tidy my room and i'm like no you're not like that's not what ocd is so i think that there, there needs to be a distinction between like what actually is a mental health problem and what isn't but i don't think that necessarily i've seen people use it as an excuse for everything but i don't know I think because it's like mental health so normalized now which is good like it's so it's so normalized now to sort of talk about your mental health which is a good thing but then I think now like say um like tomorrow say tomorrow I break up with my boyfriend and I'm upset that doesn't automatically mean that I have like depression that just means I'm upset and I think like people now will like sort of like whenever they're a bit upset now it's like oh I'm I'm really really depressed like I have depression or um, like Sam said, if you're nervous about a deadline or something, you're like, oh, I'm really anxious. Um, so it's sort of like a good and a bad thing. Like, yeah, no, I agree. There, is, there does need to be like a distinction for sure. Yeah. But, well, you know, when I say that people tend to use it as an excuse, I'm not, you know, it's a, I'm generalizing here, but I'm not saying people use it all the time. But that's a perfect example Zara used just now is, people will say, oh, I'm depressed, when technically, no, you're not. You may be upset, you may be stressed, but you're not depressed. Depression is, a, you know, it's quite serious. You, you know, you, people are treated medically for that. They are, for, you know, they, they see therapists, they speak to people. It's not just something you can just joke around about, yeah. you know, you, can, you can't just use it. Yeah, I just was going to say that I do, I do think sometimes, yeah, that can diminish the severity of someone's mental illness when people just use it as throw around for how they're feeling yeah like for example I, I have some friends who are bipolar and this is quite a severe mental health issue and um I think you know you you it, again it's something that's not visible and um a lot of people when sometimes they use oh you know that person she's bipolar or that person is depressed because she's just upset about something. It's like, no, she's not. And, you know, when I have people that actually, you know, suffer from those um, illnesses, it, it can be quite upsetting because I know about them. And that's why I feel like sometimes people use it as an excuse, but maybe use it as an excuse is not the right terms, but it's more like, you know, they're gonna, they, they just don't know about it. They pretend, they pretend like they do, but they don't. Yeah, no, I, I do get what you're trying to say, yeah. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, I, I, I do want to make that point clear. Like, I'm not diminishing anyone's, you know, mental health. And, you know, we all have to deal with stuff. And I 
me first I'm I'm actually learning about mental health because I've never actually considered that I could you know struggle and have any mental health issues um, but I do think there's a distinction to be made and people need to understand this is not something light to be talking about like it's not something you can joke about yeah definitely it needs to be taken more seriously yeah so how is your campaign going anyway yeah it's, it's going all right we've um been campaigning to make sure that the covid vaccine is a people's vaccine and not based on profit so to make sure that everyone in the world can get access no matter where they live so we've been asking big pharma to like share their research and uh, know-how with everybody so yeah that's so what we're campaigning for what inspired you to sort of start that campaign in the first place because I'm about to start a campaign now and I didn't realize like how much effort it took like out of all like the sort of journalistic work like I've done like it's it's probably like the hardest thing I've had to do because it, it, it's sort of like you're, it, I feel like campaigns are always sort of like for like unpopular opinions or it's just really hard to sort of get people to like reach out to you and stuff um, so I feel like you've got to be really, really dedicated for a campaign to work. That's what I'm learning anyway. So like what sort of inspired you to do this campaign in the first place? So I'm not actually doing this campaign. Um, it's not technically like I'm not running it. Um, I am a patient leader for a campaigning organisation called Just Treatment. So I've been like working with them on developing it so we kind of started talking about it around March April time about how we want to make sure that the COVID vaccine is accessible to everybody because there's been like a lot of access to medication problems within the CF community with in the UK it took us five years to get this drug that would be life-changing for us so um yeah it just inspired me because I was like this is a global issue and I don't want people to miss out on a vaccine no matter where they live and I just think that rich countries can't just buy up vaccine doses and just like leave everybody else like I just yeah and like my family in India I don't want to have the vaccine before they have it like to me that is horrible um so yeah that was what inspired me and I guess yeah because there's like a big team well not a huge team but there's a lot of volunteers as well like I'm not doing it on my own. It would be very overwhelming if I was doing this campaign on my own. I feel, I understand it's a lot. Yeah. So what does your job sort of involve in the campaign then? What do you kind of do on it? Um, it really varies. So it was a lot of talking at events for like Global Justice Now and um, The World Transformed back in September and then like writing articles for the website about it and just like getting raising awareness and then we had a campaigning day in December and that was where we got loads of people to phone the like the big pharma so AstraZeneca, Pfizer and Moderna and leave a message for their CEOs asking them to join the um CTAP initiative from the World Health Organization so that was like a huge day it's been doing that and then yeah now we're working on like the next stages of our strategy really so we're still like it's ongoing at the moment. Okay and um, did you manage to get those CEOs of the vaccines to sign on? Um, I have not I don't think we've heard from them yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> And um, so, well, I guess my next question is, you know, about the pandemic and mental health, mostly. What, what would you say to people, you know, who are in the same situation as yours, like shielding and not being able to see, you know, your family and your, your close ones and your friends, people you love and you care about? What would you say is the main thing to make sure, you know, they, 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 you know, they stay strong and, you know, keep the head up and what would be your advice um I would say not to put pressure on yourself I think there's a lot of discussion around these lockdowns that it's like me to achieve all this stuff and be productive and do these workouts every day and all this and I'm just like don't have that pressure because for me I it's made me so anxious and like very overwhelmed seeing all that and 
I mean, it's hard. I think there isn't enough mental health support, really. I'm, I'm lucky that through my CF community, like through my cystic fibrosis healthcare team, I get um, therapy through that. So I've, that's really helped me with my mental health, especially this year, like um, dealing with the pandemic and like starting medication and stuff. But I would just say there are like helplines out there that can really help if you don't have access because obviously therapy that isn't on the NHS is very expensive and um, also like zoom is tiring so I would say that if you don't have to zoom with family and friends all the time like you can just like, <laughs> don't have to speak to them like it's fine do what you want like don't worry um, and yeah I would just say just the pressure is just like not needed you don't have to be productive yeah. Um, going back to your illness, um, you mentioned that you're in a cystic fibrosis community. Do they sort of struggle with applying for jobs as well? Or is it just a problem which is sort of like quite prevalent in like the journalism industry? Or do you know anyone else who has like um, cystic fibrosis or maybe just a similar disability, an invisible illness, and they've sort of struggled to get jobs as well? Yeah, I mean, it's a big problem. Um the CF community, yeah, loads of people have been having issues with discrimination and not getting jobs. I mean, it's a, it's a big issue, even just in the disabled community in general. Like, there's a huge problem with underemployment, um, which the charity Scope is actually launching an inquiry with, like, um, no, because Parliament, sorry, Parliament is launching an inquiry into the um, disability employment. But there is just a huge problem. Um, yeah. It's not just in the journalism industry, it's really across all industries, from what I know. So were there any sort of like influencers or even just normal people in jobs that sort of like inspire you? Like for me, I look up to like a lot of um, like BAME, like black woman, female journalists, because I'm sort of like, oh, if they can do it, like I can. Like, are there any like any certain journalists you look up to or even just sort of like public figures? Yeah, so the journalist Frances Ryan, she's a columnist for the guardian she's disabled and she's also been shielding um since march i found her articles just really like inspiring but not inspiring that's the wrong word i found them really beneficial to read and i am very inspired by her. i love her column um and i don't know really i find that hard to like find inspiration from someone that's kind of weird but i'm just like yeah i find it hard to find people that i'm like i'm gonna yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, that's a rubbish answer. <laughs> no, that's fine. I mean, I feel you on that. I'm just saying, I, I, I struggle. I do like some, you know, people's work. Some people's works is really impressive, but I don't know if I aspire to be like them. Or, you know, you kind of, especially as a journalist, you kind of want to be unique and you want yeah, to be to have your own. And, you know, because what you're trying to do is achieve something that hasn't been achieved yet. Yeah. Um, and I do find that, like how one person might deal with say cystic fibrosis is going to be different to how another person deals with it. So, I mean, I find the community really supportive, but I think we all just deal with it very differently and it's very personal. So it's a bit hard to find inspiration through that, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how do you personally deal with it? Well, I'm so used to it. I've had it since I was six, so it's really all I know. So I don't... I do find it sometimes overwhelming, like fitting everything in and being unwell. But I have to learn that my health comes first above anything. So if I need to like take days in bed, I have to do that. And that's important for me. Um, and there, like I, the CF community is really lovely. It's just a shame because we can't meet each other ever um, because of the cross infection um, risk. So I've never met anybody that I'm friends with that has CF, which is makes it even more isolating like when we're in hospital that we have like a cystic fibrosis ward and my friends have been admitted at the same time as me and I've just like seen them from a window and that's like the most I've ever seen them in real life so it is a bit of a tricky one yeah but I have I have therapy I speak to a psychologist every week which honestly I don't know how I'd cope without that so yeah that's really important uh you know in normal times when we're not going through a pandemic what what's a day like for you I was at uni summer 2019 and then I kind of had 
a year out slash freelancing a little bit because my health had got to a really bad place from being at uni just because I'd pushed myself quite far. So um, my general day will be like my medication routine in the morning, physiotherapy, inhaled like nebulizers, inhalers, pills, like um, which takes about two hours in the morning. So that'll be the start to my day every day. And then work or rest if I need to. I literally have to follow how my body feels. So every day is so different because like last week I was not very well. So I just had a lot of time off, but then this week I've been better. So I've been like working all day and then I'll stop and do my medicine and then work in the evening. It really is like hard to answer because my day is like not structured at all. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, (laughs) I think you're the perfect example of, you know, you'll never know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I, I do find, I mean, I, you know, I admire you for, you know, your braveness of just coming here, uh, not braveness, bravery. Uh, sorry, I need help here. I'm not British. <laughs> what the word? It's bravery. <laughs> <Pretty sure. laughs> uh, yeah, so I admire, you know, I admire just you for, you know, I mean, it's, I don't want to sound cheesy here, but, you know, I've, never really had a close friend who's had the same illness as you so I don't know much about it but it seems like you know it, it can take quite a toll especially it does impact your you know daily life because you do have you said about four hours in total of just you know medicines and taking care of just you um, medically so I mean and being able to speak about it and being able to you know be confident and say, look, if I need to take a day off and I need to be in bed and I can't be productive and I can't, let's say, write an article or whatever, I'm not going to feel bad about it because that's just, I just need to take care of myself. And not everyone is able to do that, even though, you know, they may have an invisible illness or just an illness, um, they're not, they might not be able to do that. And I think, you know, it's really, really, I mean, you're probably 10,000 steps ahead of some other you know people and I just want to say you know well done to you for getting to that point thank you I think what's been important to me and especially like what I've based my work off is being really casual and candid about my disabilities because I think that there's so much stigma and misconception about physical and mental health and I just want to talk about it casually so that people start realizing that it's not like something taboo like you can talk about it and it's fine and you have to be open about it because things won't change otherwise and yeah that's why a lot of my my, all my work is basically about disability at the moment because I just especially about like workplace discrimination I think it's really bad and needs to change so I'll talk about my experiences and I yeah just be open about it I know that that's hard and I understand that can be really scary Like I've experienced a lot of like verbal abuse from using disabled services and so it can be scary to speak up for yourself but I've got that to that point where I'm just so angry and I want to make, help like make a difference so that not like other people will learn something and not yeah I mean I think that's, that's that's just great because I mean that's first that's what we need actually we need people to not be ashamed of who they are and you know be ashamed of what they've experienced and um this is an issue that that that's really ongoing and i know i've witnessed it as well um even at uni you know we're we're in 20 well 2021 now but you know we're in a time and age of when you you wouldn't expect someone to treat another person for being different or you know having um probably an invisible um you know illness to be treated that way because you know we're we're all at uni and especially universities that's the last place you expect discrimination to happen and it still happens a lot so um i think there's this idea that universities are like amazing and progressive and there's nothing bad that happens there and it's so wrong like there is so much wrong at university and even in (laughs) the university system itself like there is a lot of problems that need to like change with within like how they treat minority groups like it's not okay and yeah people think that they're they're great and mm, i don't agree <laughs> could you sort of like elaborate further on that like why do you think they're not great have you sort of experienced anything yeah well my like personal truth is 
that were like really lovely but so my final year I was in hospital for a lot of it and I'd missed like loads of lectures I had like six weeks to do my dissertation all my assignments exams like everything and I was still unwell and I asked for like reasonable adjustments to be made and it was done by like a a group of people that I'd never met before and they had just said there's nothing we can do we can't help you and they I got no help and although like my tutors were really lovely and like really supportive of me there was nothing they could do and I just sat in their offices and I was like crying and they was like I'm really sorry but we we can't change anything like you'll have to retake a year if you want to continue like if you need more time and I didn't want to risk my health for another year and so I just didn't think that would happen when I went to uni because I thought school was bad and I got reasonable adjustments when I was at school and I didn't at uni so I think that yeah wow that, I mean that's crazy and that's not right I mean I've experienced discrimination um racial discrimination at uni um and my university did nothing I mean it's it's different uh, because it's two different subjects but um it does you know it does says it does say a lot about you know their policies and what they have actually in place for those who need the help and especially you I mean it's it means you know you're wasting well th let's say a, a 9k first and uh, you would have to retake a whole year for just because they're not able to support those who need it this is just ridiculous and you do pay a lot of money just to get you know educated so yeah, I think a lot needs to change in the university system. Like, they're really not as progressive as they appear well, to be. Yeah. Um, and, I, yeah, I mean, I wasn't as outspoken when I was at university. I really wish I was. But, yeah, I hope that things change. But, yeah, it's hard. It, it is hard because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be outspoken, especially this year with my university and you know everyone going through the pandemic and online learning and all of that and me being a course rep I'm really trying to you know do my best to help everyone especially my course mates and it's really hard when you stand against people who just don't want to listen to you people who just don't want to make adjustments and people who just don't want to listen to students basically and especially you know when you're mixed race like me um you get a lot of balls that you need to take down before getting to a certain point. And I find it really hard, uh, especially during a pandemic. So I can only sympathize and understand to an extent, not understand fully, but to an extent what you've been through. And, you know, I wish I could help. I wish we could do something and, you know, get universities to understand this is not right. And you, you may as well, you know, portray yourself as, being equal and you know diverse and you know helping disabled students and whatever but it's not the case so yeah that's the hardest thing is that they'll come across like yeah we're going to support everybody and we're really inclusive and then you say something and you need help and they're like yeah no we can't help and it's like so you're not then you're not inclusive then <laughs> yeah exactly fine there's a line though, even on sort of my university's website, there's always they they've they've gotten trouble for it this year um because they had posted sort of like pictures of um like disabled people um like on our course like departments like website and like um BAME people and then these people reached out and they were like hold on I'm actually not studying on this course so my picture shouldn't be here so it turned oh, out wow. it was just sort of like tokenism like obviously they had put on their site to sort of like show visitors oh look like we have disabled students you know we have um ethnic minority students like we're really diverse like come to us when these students didn't even study on the course at all that's like really like I just don't pretend to be something that you're not because people will find out eventually like <laughs> yeah exactly this is, this is yeah I mean it could be a whole you know a whole episode just about universities um because I've experienced quite a lot and um I wouldn't have expected it to be fair I'm not from um, you know the UK and I've always thought, you know, UK is way more progressive and inclusive than France is. Well, which actually it is, but maybe not at universities. They're probably just too conservative in a way. And 
I, you know, I wish I hadn't known that before um, making my choice to go to that university. <laughs> uh, but you know, I'm I'm nearly to the, I'm ne- nearly at the end, and I just can't wait to just be finished and out in the world and work and you know do what I love. But yeah, it's been it's been tough, and I can't even imagine what you've been through especially you know when <clears throat> I mean for me you know a degree is, I mean you pay to get a diploma basically and you're not receiving the support you should receive while you know you basically paying the people that are teaching you so something's wrong in the balance yeah I mean I was I was asking for my lectures to be recorded and they were being really difficult about it. And I was like, I'm in a hospital bed and I'm asking to watch lectures so I can keep up and you're not putting them on there because people won't turn up if they have access to that. And I'm like, I, I'm in hospital, like, please help me. God. Like, it's just ridiculous. Um, you could literally just sort of email that to you. They don't even have to put that on for all the other students to see if that was a problem. Yeah, I know. Look where we are now. Everything's online. Everything is recorded. Um, I mean, it, oh, yeah. I don't. I don't really know what to say because there's just so much to say about it, and um, they think they have all the answers. And I know it's not just down to lecturers. I'm not saying it's just down to lecturers, but they do have a big voice, you know, compared to us students. And um, I don't know. I think they just. <clears throat> Either they don't care, which in my experience, some of them really don't care, or they just don't know what to do. Either way, there's something that, you know, they need, change needs to happen. Yeah, I mean, my, my tutors definitely cared a lot. They just couldn't do anything, but I just wish that things had been different. I don't even know. Like, it was really like because the people that were making the decisions about what was going to happen to me like I didn't even meet them I didn't even know who they were so it was really hard because I couldn't even talk to them about tip from my perspective so yeah it was just tough but yeah I don't know what needs to change a lot (laughs) (laughs) um what do you sort of think universities um news organizations can put in place to support to support people like you in the future? It's really hard to make a difference, but I think that it's important that there's better training for people, especially people that are employing people that they need, they need to know about like the struggles that minority groups face and like how they need to accommodate for like everybody's individual needs. Cause it is important. Like everyone's going to have different needs and they need to help. Like, I think, for a lot of like minority groups, I feel like we have to like work even harder just to prove that we're like okay to be in these spaces, and that's just not okay. And I think that that it it's like not fair. So I think that there needs to be better training in place, and I don't know if that's through like I don't even know like me like I don't know what it would be exactly like, but I mean even like HR departments like will have issues and just like you know will discriminate so I think that it's a bigger issue there needs to be it really needs to be looked into like in in yeah it's, it's hard to answer like how I think things could be better because I just want people to like you know not discriminate but I don't know how you necessarily like change everyone's I guess even just sort of like lecturers or employers just taking the time of the day to just sort of listen to your specific needs is a change in the right direction because I feel like right now it just seems like your your needs are sort of getting ignored and they're just sort of like oh well we don't want to do that so we're not going to bother so I feel like there doesn't even have to be any like huge changes in place all people sort of have to do is just sort of like listen to what you're saying about your illness and what you need and just sort of accommodate that yeah it's just kind of felt like I've never got to like interview stages and even then I've said can I have the interview online we're in a pandemic I'm shielding I can't come and they're like they'll just ignore me even though they said I was like really strong candidate and it's like okay so even though everything's online you can't do that online and so then I'm like well you know what like even if I explained my situation they probably wouldn't even be accommodating or supportive so would I want to work for them I don't know 
no, probably not if they're going to be like that. that, so. that yeah. It's hard one to balance because like, I want them to change their mindsets, but also like, do I want to work for someone that's like given that had that attitude? Like, I don't know. Exactly. I'm sure there's organisations out there who probably are supportive and inclusive. Yeah. So it's just like a matter of time of like you just finding them, which you will eventually. So thank you for joining us at The Digestive today. I hope you've enjoyed our show. Uh, follow us on Twitter to keep an eye out on any updates. The username is at The Digestive Pod. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening to us. We'll see you next week. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye.